How was the word of God heard by the people when it was first spoken? The time, the place, the political landscape, the struggles. And how does the word of God apply to this time, this place, this political landscape, our struggles? This is Michael Leasley in Context. Understand God's word and apply it to your life. In Context. Welcome back to Michael Easley in Context. Today, we diverge from the big book cover to cover series and are releasing an interview with John Dyer discussing one of Michael's great interests. Is there a difference in Bible reading comprehension and retention, whether you use a physical book or you read it on your iPhone, iPad, or other electronic version? Dr. John Dyer is the Dean of Enrollment Services and Educational Technology and an adjunct professor in media and worship. He got his Bachelor of Science from Texas A&M. You're an Aggie? I am, yes, man, sir. Man, Hannah, maybe we shouldn't do this interview. We're talking to an Aggie. <laughs> then he went to my alma mater, Dallas Theological Seminary, in 2008. He's a Ph.D. candidate. Uh, from Durham University. Have you got all but that last little paper done? Yeah, I turned in that paper back in June. I'm just waiting for a defense in November. So I've got about a month to go, and Lord willing, that will all work out great. Nice. Yeah, You, you know that yeah. all that is is academic hazing. You know that, right? <laughs> well, I'll tell you on the other end how it goes. <laughs> he is also the author of From the Garden to the City, The Redeeming and Corrupting Power of Technology, and recently, uh, John dropped an article, it's actually an abstract, in the Journal of Religion on Media and Digital Culture, entitled The Habits and Hermeneutics of Digital Bible Readers, Comparing Print and Screen Engagement, Comprehension and Behavior. And I saw this, John, and it popped into uh, CT and the Christian Post, and of course I went immediately to the source because I didn't want to just go on the popular article and uh, looked uh, at, at the Journal of Religion and Media and Digital Culture, which I didn't even know such a journal exists, but uh, <laughs> it's amazing how this technology is, is just uh, metastasized. But let's start um, hmm. Let's start at the beginning. What, what stirred you, and, and we'll, we'll give our listeners a little bit of a lead on what this article is about, but print media versus digital media at the highest level, and something in you said there's a difference here. Where did that idea trigger? Yeah, at the broadest level, this is actually part of my PhD work. So my big question in all of this was, you know, what what is the influence of when we are switching from from print to digital? What's going to happen there? And and I was going back to, you know, when the printing press was invented, you know, in the 1400s and the 1500s, it was a printer who created the verse number system that we now use. So you know, if you ask Jesus and Paul what their favorite verse was, they didn't have verses <laughs> back then, right? So this is something that comes along later. And really, right. a lot of what we do when we preach. You know, expositorily, or we memorize verses, or we have a life verse. This whole concept of verses was created by a technologist, right, in a certain era. So my question was, you know, today's technologists that are creating Bible apps uh, for our phones and our computers, what are the things that they're creating that are similarly as powerful as verse numbers? And so that's what I set out to do on my PhD, and part of this was to look at comprehension and some of the other behaviors. So interesting. All right, well, let's let's jump to where my big concern on this, so my, my shtick is in context. It's how we look at the Bible in the context in which it was written, when that first audience mm -hmm. heard it, when they taught it to their children and so forth, 
whether it's in the New Testament, you know, stories of Paul's epistles, whether it's during the Kings and Chronicle, the monarchy at times. And then our job as Bible teachers, expositors, and even Bible students is to do our homework as best we can with the hermeneutic, the way we approach the Bible, so that we can mm-hmm. say this is what it meant at the time, best we can understand. This is now how we understand it. And the big jump then is application. Now, my mm-hmm. concern has always been with, and I use the soft, I use the Logos every day. I use Logos Bible software. I was mm-hmm. an early adopter, but I still have a Bible and hardback books that are copiously marked up. And mm. when I teach and do mentoring groups, I'm really a, a stickler for, you need a physical Bible, even if it's just for these two years, mm. to write your notes in. Because something kinesthetically seems to be happening. So tell me where I'm wrong, where I'm right, where, <laughs> where you've got a different take on it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right that having a physical Bible means a lot more than just having access to information. You know, that that thing that you carry, it has a significance for you, and and other people see you with it, and maybe your kids see you study with it. So there's so much more going on there than just access, right? Um, and at the same time, you know, what, what really got me interested in this when I was a youth pastor about 20 years ago, and I, I requested to get a projector because, you know, half of my kids brought Bibles and half of them didn't, and we would hand out Bibles, you know how you do. And so I want to get the projector up there so that I could show scripture up there and play Xbox games and all that stuff for the kids. But, you know, what I found out was when I started showing scripture up on screen, then, you know, you know what happens, right? Those no kids one bought a Bible, yeah. And so at first I thought, you know, maybe I'm at a Bible church. Maybe I'm destroying my kids by doing this, by not having them bring printed Bibles. And then, you know, I had this this realization that you know, for most of church history, people didn't bring Bibles to churches. That wasn't a thing you did because it was way too expensive. So that's really only been in the last few centuries, and particularly, you know, since the 1940s and 50s when we've had all these different versions out there. And one thing I discovered was that my kids, you know, some of them had NIVs and some had New American Standard and some had, you know, the Teen Study Bible and some had the Cat Lovers Bible. And they just (laughs) had all these different things that in some ways I, I really treasured because it meant that they were you know, owning their faith. But another way, they were all disparate. And so I realized, you know, when I show something on a screen there for, for a moment, we're all looking at the same thing at the same time. And so we would spend more time doing, you know, reading of scripture and those kinds of things out loud to try to recall some of the older practices and, and try to do some of the old and the new at the same time. So I think you're you're right, of course, that that having a printed Bible is is really significant and its ability to kind of focus you where you don't have the multiple distractions that are on a phone is very, very important. And yet, you know, at the same time, when you when we read scripture and we ask it, what does the Bible say for us to do with it, right? What is it, what are the commands? And there are a few times where, where study shows up, but, you know, in so many more places, there's this concept of meditating on Scripture and of actually putting it into action. And so whether we get that through, you know, an audio Bible uh, app or we get that through our own study, really it's that internalization that we want to be getting people toward and then trying to figure out now how do these different mediums now that we have available to us, how do they each uniquely contribute toward that transformation and life change? And, and to your point, uh, when Bibles weren't affordable, much less available. Uh, if we go back to antiquity, when we had the Torah, you know, a synagogue had a copy of the Torah if they had the means to get one, uh, mm-hmm. even in, in, you know, prior to the church, the, it was a rare thing. So, you know, I remember our seminary teaching us, perhaps uh, they taught you differently, but when it was oral tradition and it was mm-hmm. far more rich in antiquity 
than we understand. Of course, they didn't have print medium. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have uh, Pinterest. They didn't have any type of instant information. So it was the stories that were told, you know, in the Hebraism and you're rising up, you're getting down, you're going in, you're coming out, you bind it on your hand, on your forehead. This idea that you keep the word of God with you, which meant they had to know it. So, you know, I've argued, I remember Alan Ross arguing that uh, even early part of the Western seminary development, you had to have the Psalms committed to memory for entrance mm-hmm. in some of these seminaries. So wow. it, it's, it's just a different mindset. And I love the technology. I love the instant access to it. But as your article that was uh, in CT in particular points out, the retention is far less, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one of the one of the elements of this big study was to go into some different churches and to split up, you know, Sunday school groups into into two halves. So one half would read a passage in print and the other half would read it on their phones or whatever device they had with them. And I'd just give them a little comprehension test on it. Um, so I, I had looked at a variety of studies over the last 20, 30 years that that do these kind of screen versus print comparison. And, you know, back in the old days with a big kind of nasty monitor, of course, people on paper always read better. As we've gotten to, you know, better and better reading devices like Kindles and iPads, the scores have gotten closer, but still print has always been a little bit lower, particularly for things like ordering the events in a narrative. You know, since you're not physically turning the page, people typically score lower on those kinds of questions. So I wanted to see, was this the same with Bible reading? And um, so I chose the Epistle of Jude just because it would be something that, in theory, as I looked at a lot of different church websites, most churches don't really preach on Jude, so it wouldn't be something that people would be as familiar with, and yet it takes the you know, familiar form of an epistle. So I had them read that, and it's just, I think, 650 words, words so it only takes maybe five minutes to read, and then do this little uh, question and answer. And as I started to do it, you know, the scores were, were fairly close overall. I mean, print was a little bit lower, but what began to emerge was it across some different um, d- different demographics. For example, um, older audiences tended to do better overall, but they were still pretty close. And the, the bigger difference really was in male and female. So women tended to score really the same and, and not statistically significant at all. Okay, let me interrupt you there. print and screen. Let me yeah, interrupt yeah, you there, do. because uh, when I read that in your article, I was like, this is nothing new. <laughs> Women have always been right. better in literature. I mean, from, from high school to college to seminary, post-grad school. I mean, is mm-hmm. that, I don't want to sound pejorative, but I, I just, you know, it, 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 girls always outperformed men, it seemed, in, in most of these testings. Is that a wrong factoid? I mean— yeah, so on on this particular kind of study on print versus screen, um, there isn't a lot of literature that really splits it up by gender. So I wasn't able to find that specific thing. But you're right when you look back at um, you know kids kids scores on standardized testing and things like that. Uh, girls tend to do better on reading. Now men often do better on standardized tests as a whole um, than than girls do and or, or women do. But then uh, girls typically do a little bit better. Um, you know, I think one of them says girls showed significantly higher reading scores than boys across every weight right. of assessment and every right. grade. Right. So that's something that's been pretty consistent out there. And and my other observation was when you look at BSF or Precept or Community Bible Studies, uh, they are predominantly women. Mm. Yeah, on the on the religious data, you know, it tend, women tend to be more religious than men, just just as a whole, and they tend to do um, they tend to read their Bible more often in all the national surveys that we have. So that that part of it isn't necessarily surprising. Now, the the flip side of this was that um, on the comprehension side, where where men scored lower. 
when it came to doing a daily reading plan. So I had them read the Gospel of John over 10 days, and half of them did it in print, and half of them did it on their phones. And we set them up with a version reading plan, so it would remind them every day. Um, the, the, the phone readers um, by far read more days in both genders, but the men read significantly more than the women, even in their phones. And so it seemed like this, this deeper attachment to phones, perhaps, that, that men have um, that was even broader than some of these other reading standards. It seemed like there's a lot going on there. Any, uh, uh, and again, I know your study perhaps didn't dive into this, but just your own gut and observation. In the years we've watched our small group, my wife and I teach, which is a fairly high-end group. We handpick young couples. We make them go through Hendrick's Living by the Book. We make them read Paul N's Handbook of Theology. I give them articles. Mm-hmm. It's it's a more than just you know read a verse and tell me what this means to you nonsense. So we're we're really teaching them Bible study methodology, mm-hmm. critical thinking, theology, and what I've seen, John, in just the last few years. They do this all on their phone now. And mm-hmm. I'm going, the tablet at least, or a Kindle, you had some landscape and margin. But mm-hmm. I don't care what the quality and you know crispness of your phone, It's obviously it's convenient. I carry less technology, mm-hmm. the battery lasts longer, et cetera. But do you see any, just from your observations and what you've done, is there any drop? And now we've gone from a book with a margin, a literal margin, to a tablet, which may or may not have a margin, to that we've lost the kinesthetic aspect now. Now we're just looking at data on a screen and we're looking at five, three by five. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure um, how to you know, measure it. So you're asking kind of just gut, and I think you're you're right there that you you are losing something. And yet there's there's this other sense that people, you know, they have their phone with them all the time. It, it's sort of all of the things that they're doing. Um, and men and women sometimes tend to use them a little bit differently. Um, men tend to uh, kind of have more of you know video games in one kind of way and and consumption of media, whereas women tend to use it in a little bit more so direction and even though you know the biggest game demographic is actually women from 35 to 45 you, you wouldn't necessarily think that but that's because it's a sort of like words with friends style games so there's a kind of a social dimension and also a, a thinking dimension so there's there's a lot of things going on on there um, and when you ask when part of this study was asking people you know which one of these media is best or do you prefer for different types of Bible studies so if you can kind of picture like a little grid I asked them you know across the top it's um, you know phone and print and tablet and computer and then along the side, a bunch of different activities like a devotional reading or a, a long, deeper reading or study or, or searching for something. And so I had them check off which things they tend to use. And and they really did show some variability. They, they seem to recognize that, for example, a computer or a phone is obviously a lot better than search than, than going in and getting a concordance out or something like that. And then they seem to say that, you know, for a daily quick devotional reading that a phone is great, but for a long form reading that really print would be superior to that. So they seem to recognize that each medium has an advantage over other ones and is good at a particular thing. But yet when you ask them, what do you do when you're running out the door and your kids are screaming and you're late and you haven't had breakfast yet, you're just trying to get to church, what do you do? And they all would say, you know, I go for my phone because that's the thing that's already in my pocket. It's already attached to me. 
So, you know, that's the reason why, you know, people um, use their phones as their alarm clock, even though they could have an alarm clock. And what that begins to do is it creates this sort of very powerful, you know, ritual in their life where they're attached to their phone in a lot of different ways. And so then because of that, they funnel in things that maybe aren't necessarily ideal. And it takes a, a lot of work to choose to use something that is even just a little bit less convenient, like like a tablet, you know, another $800 right. device in your in your world. But to go and choose that, um, it just is a lot of work to choose something that's less convenient. Bob Pritchard, who uh, took over the was once called the CD Word Project. You may be aware that was the mm-hmm. Dallas Seminary project many years ago, uh, and it was uh, actually a layman who watched his pastor had all these commentaries on his desk, and he had a little you know computer. In those days, we called them user hateful Word Star, and you know had the the floppy disk that one was the program, the other one was your data. And uh, he said, why can't that all be integrated on the computer? And that was the genesis of the CD Word project. Bob Pritchard, who was a programmer for Microsoft, for Gates, mm-hmm. uh, and I believe he was a teen. He went through, like, jump-started through high school and college and got his degrees. He's a brilliant guy. And Bob was the one that bought the CD Word project from Dallas and turned it into Logos. Yeah. And he and I have had this collegial you know, discussion over the years going, Bob, there's got to be something we're losing. And believe me, I love the technology. I, I love clicking on a Greek word and opening Kittle where it shows up as opposed to going to the index and looking through five or six volumes to look up, you know, the word inheritance in Greek, kleronomias, clairvoyant, whatever. And, you know, the time it saves is remarkable. But I go, what's mm-hmm. lost? And his answer to me was uh, I had a small Kindle and I read a 600-page novel on vacation while my wife was shopping Mm. and doing different things. Mm. And so, you know, essentially, I would not have done that carrying around a 600-page hardback tome on vacation, but I could slip that Kindle in my cargo pocket. And and so I I get the convenience and all that, and I guess what I'm asking you is, again, I know it's somewhat, you know, probably beyond the scope of your study, but you've got to have a sense. Mm. There's a place for both, we would agree, digital and print, mm-hmm. but is there is there a significant loss in only doing digital? Yeah, I think I think you're right, and I would I would always kind of go back and say what was lost with print again. So when we changed that medium, you know, certainly so much was gained, obviously that people could have their own copy of the printed Bible, and yet so much was lost in terms of the amount that we memorized and these kinds of things. So if I look at it and I say, you know, with with each new medium, there's going to be some advantages and disadvantages, and and what are those things? I think with, uh, you know, with with digital, you're you're in one way you're kind of mixing in your Bible along with a lot of other elements of your life, so it's not um, just cordoned off in a, in a one little part of your life. That it's here in the mix, and that that's a really positive thing. And the ways that you can, you know, connect with people and all the searching that you've already mentioned. But the part that I think is is lost is, of course, that just ability to focus in, in one time frame. And I also think that the more dependent we are on our devices, it, it does seem like that in the last you know, 10 to 20 years that the rise and increase in anxiety and some of these um, kind of disorders about uh, kind of mental disorders and then also kind of lack of, of uh, social connections with people that are, are the more we become individually focused on ourselves and our customized world, that sometimes we end up losing something in a, in a greater sense socially. 
And then I think, you know, we talked at the beginning about how the physical Bible has sort of a representative power. Now, we don't we don't worship the Bible as a physical object or anything like that. And it, it does represent a commitment to faith. And that's, I think, the reason why early Christians were called the people of the book, because at that time, you know, moving from scrolls to a codex or a book, that was a big deal that Christians decided to, you know, adopt that technology kind of early before everybody else did. And so that became a signifier of what a Christian was, was someone that, that you know, had this book for us. And so that signifier of, you know, sitting at a Starbucks and pulling out this religious book on on an airplane or in a public space, if you're just doing that on your phone, that sort of distinction isn't there as well. And then you also don't have something that you can pass on to your children that they can see and look at the little notes that you took on. So there's definitely some things that you win and some things that you lose with the new technology. A couple of comments. You know, I, I, years ago, started marking up my Bibles back with rapidographs. And um, I've got four kids and I've got four Bibles that are pretty much, you know, there's not much marginal space left, whether it's devotion notes, sermon notes, a quote I've written there. And I'll give one to each child as uh, they're adults now at at the appropriate time. And now that I got grandkids, I'm going, okay, I got to keep working, (laughs) you know, because I want to give them uh, grandpa's Bible. And I want them all to be able to have Mm -hmm. that whether they use it or not. Tandem to this, you've seen Crossway published the ESV in a non-versified mm-hmm. book form. And it's a yeah. multi-volume set, and it's pricey, if memory serves. And so on the one yeah. side, and, and, and you see this also in your Instagram feeds, where journals and expensive fountain pens are making a bit of a resurgence. Um, I'm a mm-hmm. Colonel Littleton leather uh, guy, and people buy me these expensive Colonel Littleton leather, you know, covers and notebooks and diaries. And there's something aesthetic about that, that people go, oh, that's a beautiful journal. That's a beautiful briefcase. And so uh, it seems there's still that romance, if you will, to the physical Mm. Bible. But I, I, you know, I have this rule in the morning, if I'm doing my devotions and prayer time, if I turn on Logos, I'm gone. Because Mm. I'll do word studies, I'll check my email, I'll get a ping, and Mm. I'm gone. So my rule is, you know, cup of coffee, and I, I say you need two things in the morning, caffeine and oxygen. Caffeine is the coffee, and oxygen is the Word of God. And and I have to sit mm-hmm. with those physically alone, or my ADD, or whatever you want to call it, gets into rabbit trails. The next thing you know, mm-hmm. it's, you know, four hours have gone by, and I haven't read the Bible. So, and again, we're all unique, but I, I love the differentiations you're making between uh, not to sound sexist, but men and women looked at these things differently. Mm. And let me jump to another part of your article. I'm a little mm. pell-mell here. You had a question about how they felt about their mm-hmm. reading, which I thought, where's that coming from <laughs> in a study? So I want to hear your, your your why you did that. Yeah. And then also tell us about the outcomes. Quite intriguing. Yeah, I, I thought so too. You know, um, there's some of the literature that I'd read of these different kinds of studies were talking about what they call the affective dimension, just how, how does somebody emotionally feel when they read a story? So if you read a, a poem or a particularly moving story, how does that differ? So not just the comprehension, but how does it actually affect you as a person? And so I hadn't definitely hadn't seen that done on um, 
anything having to do with religious reading or Bible reading. So when I asked them about that, you know, I said, how did you feel after this part? Because I, I wanted to get a sense of how did Jude particularly affect them? Because it's, it's a pretty strong book. You know, it's, it's not, a, um, not a feel-good psalm or an easy proverb or something that you put on a bumper sticker. You know, you never see anybody have anything from Jude as their life verse. So when I, when I asked them about this, you know, did you feel encouraged? Did you feel confused? Did you feel, you know, like you, you learned something new? And what was really, really interesting is that, you know, there was a, a broad support for people saying that they were encouraged. But what you really saw was that more and more of the digital users reported feeling a little bit confused. And, and more and more of them would say, hey, I want to go read this again. Um, and, and even a few of them said that they you know, maybe would even feel discouraged. But the confused was about twice as high on the smartphone, and the encouraged was much higher on the print side. So I think it, it's important for us to really be thinking about not just the, the data that we get, which is important, but also also what's moving. And, of course, we all believe that the Holy Spirit can work through whatever media you know, he wants to affect us in. But I think the big thing for us to keep in mind is that you know, we, we tend to separate you know, sometimes when we talk about our, our faith, we tend to talk about um, separating the medium and the message. So we say, hey, that the message stays the same, but we're going to change our, our means, maybe. So we change, you know, the, the music style from, from generation to generation, or we change the worship style or different kinds of things. But I think there's this, this growing recognition that that, that medium is, is almost as important as the message in a lot of cases. And of course, the, the gospel and the content of who Jesus is and the triune God, that, that part is really true and is distinct from the medium medium we use. But that medium does have an effect on how we understand it. And I think we see this, you know, with the people of Israel, that God gave them all of these different smells and tastes and touches and, and visuals to portray who he was, because this is a largely, you know, illiterate culture, one that, that wouldn't have reading. And so what they saw and they smelled and they touched really would show them who God was. And, you know, the, the second commandment actually bakes in there about how you're supposed to use media. You know, it says, hey, we, we could have an official sanctioned Yahweh doll that everybody has to buy. Hmm. But God is saying, I want to teach you that I'm not like any other God through media, or in this case, the lack of use of media. And that way, by not having an idol of God, it says our God is not like anybody else and cannot be contained. I think that's a real lesson for us to say that God cares so deeply about the media that we use that he put it in the Ten Commandments. And so we, even though we can, you know, change media, that media affects everything. And like you mentioned, I think there's that recognition that we love the internet and we love all the things that it's given us, but we're all starting to push back on it a little bit. And so, you know, I've seen a, a recent book called The Revenge of the Analog about people buying, you know, LPs right. and wanting craft coffee right. and craft beer and leather journals and all the things that you mentioned. And I think one of the things that's going to be important for us in our faith is how do we present those things to people? Surely you can, you know, you can get whatever podcast content you want online. But what is it that the people of God can offer that cannot be digitized? And I think that's what one of our big things that we as a church need to figure out. I remember uh, Norm Geisler talking about the Shroud of Turin in particular and uh, mm -hmm. artifacts. And he talked about the science and carbon dating and the dubious nature of carbon dating pro and con. And, and at the end of this discussion about artifacts and, you know, why don't we have a piece of the ark? Why don't we have the a bronze serpent? Why don't we have Aaron's rod, the Ark of the Covenant, whatever? And he made this philosophical observation that uh, the people of God, no matter how uh, pure they may be, they worship the artifact. Mm. 
And he said, imagine finding a piece of gopher wood on Mount Ararat. How many churches would be the first church of the gopher wood, you know, or whatever it would be. And and your point about Yahweh and, and dolls or an idol of some kind and, and then the Holy Spirit indwelling us, this monotheistic view of who the Holy Trinity is in our lives. It's an extraordinary uh, assessment to me. And again, I'm kind of a simple guy at the end of the day. That is more communicable than an array of idols or an array of technology or an array of, you know, apps, that this is a personal relationship with an eternal sovereign God who loves you, who died in your place on your behalf instead of you. And you don't have to have this level of status, wealth, education. It's a story that can be communicated. It's it's an eternal, uh, you know, it, the, the gospel, right, is intrinsic in the power of the story, not the necessarily the presenter. Mm. I don't know. I'm kind of rambling, but I think it's a fascinating work you've done, John, and I, I appreciate where you're going with it. I'm anxious for the next layer. <laughs> yeah. yeah when, you know, when you get some conclusions from your data. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun to try to do, you know, expand that out and see how, how that goes. And I'm, I'm interested, too, in people's conception of, say, the canon, for example. So, you know, we grew up with a printed Bible, and we know that, that Psalms is in the middle, and if you go to the right, is the spicy stuff that you don't want to read if you're a teenager. And, you know, you start to learn where things are. And I think, you know, I asked a couple of people, how has your Bible reading changed since you got a digital Bible? And a couple of people said, not at all. And I said, really? What, what do you mean? They said, well, because I've only been a Christian for a year or two, and this is all I've ever known. And wow. so that, that really hit me to go, man, this this is the way that people are encountering Scripture for the very first time is, is on a phone. It's part of this entire world, um, and they're going to see it in an entirely different way. And I'd love to know, you know more about what kind of uh, conception of Scripture and the habits around it, because I think you know, so much of our life is, is the habits that we created, like you talked about in the morning. If, if it's not just about you know, whether or not I read Scripture, but it's sort of the, the way and the manner around all of that that really helps me to encounter God. And I think we want to be helping our people especially sort of our digital first people, you know, develop patterns that are healthy for keeping them growing in their faith. I agree wholeheartedly. And I'm going back to the NAV 2.7, which that reference in itself won't mean anything to (laughs) anyone probably younger than uh, 40. Uh, But the topical memory system Mm. had these 60 verses uh, on these little cards Mm. and you could choose NIV, King James or NASB, I think. And you memorize those 60 key verses in the topical memory system. And I have friends that they, they like a, a double column Bible because when they memorize a verse, they can, quote, see it hmm. on that page. You know, they can see uh, Philippians 2, verse 7 or whatever. And and I've always been struck by that. And we know from a concrete abstract to, you know, a visual, tangible learner, all these different ways we look at learning. You know, some people, they, they do see that picture in their head and they go, oh, I can see it on the, on the right page of my Bible somewhere in Isaiah. I wrote a note. Mm-hmm. And if all they know is an iPhone or an Android phone, even with note technology, are they going to visualize that? And does it matter? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you fast forward and ask the question. But you know, your comment about the resurgence of analog and vinyl cracks me up because I don't know how old you are, but you know, I got rid of all my albums when CDs came out because mm-hmm. the sound was better. They were impervious to dust and scratches. And of course, now people are scrounging around you know, half-price bookstores looking for vinyl. And I keep joking, I wonder when they're going to scrounge around for eight tracks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, the worst technology ever, but there'll be somebody that will renew it. <laughs> yeah, there is this profound sense sometimes that something older is significant to us, right? That's the reason why we wear tuxedos yeah. and you know why we take a horse and buggy downtown. We want to make a date feel really special. And and today, the reason why you might write a note to somebody is that you know sending a little encouragement text is great, but when you take that time to use that older thing and find a stamp and put it in the mail, it just seems like it means something to people. And so I think you'll probably see that 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 uh, sometimes using the older technology of the of print for our Bibles sometimes just has a weight to it that will be kind of significant. And so I think there's, like you said, there's tons of great reasons for using, you know, digital. I think the the reasons why you might not for Bible is just because it's sort of cool or, or, or something that you feel like you're falling behind if you don't or or just out of convenience. But I do think there's good reasons. For example, one of the things I hadn't seen before, um, I didn't expect, was the resurgence of audio. So you know that hearing of the word is so significant throughout Scripture, and it seems like that was something that we lost in the print era. And it seems like something that's that's regaining. There's a lot of people that are re-encountering God's word for the first time digitally using using the audio, and so they're hearing in different versions. They're hearing um, while they do other things, while they you know cook or clean or or mow the lawn or go running. So that's a pretty amazing thing to me that people are beginning to hear Scripture again, and that's re- that's resurging. And so I think again, knowing knowing what the media is good for is what's going to be key. It's uh, interesting because we have friends, I'm sure you do as well, who have been in uh, translation whether it's Wycliffe, SIL, or New Tribes, and um, with a lot of this competing technology where there's illiteracy or not a written language, there are some experiments doing audio of the Gospel of John in that language, and to watch a uh, people group that's uh, you know perhaps nomadic, perhaps a small you know clan tribe of some kind in India or whatever, gather around a little box and listen to the Gospel of John in their heart language is astonishing Mm. and uh so the shortcut of you know we don't have to develop an alphabet and a grammar and a a vocabulary and so forth we can just read it to them Mm. so anyway and technology is a wonderful thing and you kind of wonder where it's all going to go back to your you're writing a note Uh, i've been a proponent of that for you know 40 years and it's not uncommon to go somewhere where i'll be visiting or speaking or whatever and someone will open a bible and they will have kept a note Mm that I had written to them months or years ago. Hmm. And that's, you never know how much that meant to me. Hmm. And it's just astonishing that you took a pen and a little cardstock and you wrote it. And as you said, you found a stamp and hand addressed it and sent it. So it, it's interesting how these things cycle. Hmm. You know, I, I think we would agree technology is a marvelous thing. Uh, I love Logos and what Bob Pritchard is doing uh, although it is a very expensive uh, role for a pastor to keep up with, oh, I can buy this set of commentaries, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, when the EMP goes off, I'm going to have the Bible on my shelf and hopefully a few, you know, concordances and handbooks of uh, theology because mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't access my computer anymore, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, I think in everything everything you've said, you know, there's this idea that out there, when I ask most people how do they view technology, they tend to say that they view it as just being neutral, but all that really matters is how you use it. So if we're using it for good things like Bible and not for all the bad things that are out there, that's really all they need to think about. And my, my pushback is I always want to say – 
first off, I want to say that technology is good because I think it fits under um, the image of God and God's uh, call for us to create things out of what he's made. So first off, the things we make, they are good and they honor God. But second, they're never neutral, that whatever technology you use, it's always going to transform you as a user. So when you use a shovel and you dig a hole, you get blisters on your hands. Whether you're building a church or or killing somebody and burying them, you get changed whenever you use a tool. As long as we can kind of keep that in front of us and think about what are some of these non-neutral effects that happen when I use a particular medium, and as long as I'm aware of those things, then I can make better choices about how they're going to affect me as as an individual and the community around me. Almost Dr. John Dyer. Thank you for the article. It's stimulating. I love what you're doing, and I hope your uh, dissertation project gets printed in different forms and functions, technologically or in print, (laughs) (laughs) so that more folks can read it. Thanks for what you're doing. I think it's so critical, and thanks for being on In Context. Appreciate you. Well, thanks so much for having me. It It was my honor. Michael Easley in Context is fully funded from donations by our listeners. If you're a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation on our website? You can find us on michaelincontext.com. In Context is engineered by Chad Cates, produced by Hannah Seymour, and music composed by Tycho, Chad Cates, and Blair Masters.